we gather together on a Wednesday night as a, as a house group. At the moment, uh, we gather all together. Um, we've actually, last Sunday, the church here was actually meeting at the Abbey School in Faversham. So you guys will know that a little bit because that's where your son Troy goes. Um, and so um, we were meeting there as a church. That was actually our anniversary of having started meeting um, here at Costa for one year. So in October last year, we started meeting fortnightly. Yeah, we can give ourselves a little, uh, praise God. So... Um, the, the Sunday before that, one year ago, our family, literally the five of us, sat there, um, literally sat in this corner, we were the only ones up here, and we got the Bible out and we were like, next week, this could be it, it could just be us, five of us gathered around the Bible, and we're just going to keep doing that every week and see what God will do, and like, obviously a year on, uh, look how faithful God's been, there's all, all these happy smiling faces here, which is amazing, um, and we're just sort of trying to grapple with, um, obviously we've all come, many of us are, uh, were already Christians when we came, um, and so we've just been spending the last year really just trying to figure out um, who we are together, what God's doing amongst us, and some of the good works he's got prepared for us here in Sittingbourne. There's already a lot of really great work that goes on uh, here in Sittingbourne. Ruth and Stan from CAP in Swale um, are already quite involved in that, plugged into lots of local churches locally, uh, and we're sort of just looking um, to start a CAP Life Skills Centre, so we've got a team of three that are going to be starting that. Um, in January hopefully so there's training next month for that um, and we're also just in the process a year on of uh, becoming registered as a, as a charity in the UK which kind of makes us a bit more credible otherwise people think who, who, what's that strange cult that meets upstairs at Costa which is one of the conversations I have with a lot of local leaders so over, are you a charity yet you know all that sort of stuff um, but that gives us a lot more credibility when we're then trying to promote CAP life skills um, to frontline agencies such as the job centre doctor's surgeries all, all those sorts of you know local uh, council, uh, if we're a, a UK charity that really, really helps us. Uh, the reason I'm going into this is because this is actually in my notes. Um, from I've basically sp- spoken this message for the last two weeks, so I've, I've not been at church for two weeks, which is terrible. You might have thought I've fallen away. Um, la- last week I was at a men's weekend up in the Scottish Borders, visiting our f- friends at Hope Church Borders. Um, we are connected to them through our network of churches, but all the churches aren't called Hope Church. We just so happen to have the same name. Um, we're not, uh, Although it does look like we're a poor carbon copy of those guys at the moment they're seven years on and he was like I think you're just copying what we're doing as a church so um, but no we get on really well with those guys they send their love um, and uh, the week before I was at Cornerstone City Church which is the church we were sent out of a year ago um, to try and pioneer this new work um, in faith and so uh, it's been great to kind of really get to grips with this and I feel like there's still some life in the word well there's always life in the word but particularly in this message so what we're going to look at is John 14 if you've got your Bibles we're going to have a look at John 14 verses 15 to 21 Um, and what I'm going to do just for those that are new I'm just going to speak a little bit about some of the things that we're trying to reach for in faith I guess like aspirations and things for us as a church plant Um, and so we want to be a church uh, John 14 verses 15 to 21 John 14, verses 15 to 21. And so, one of the things, we basically got, um, I guess it's like a vision statement, which is an aspiration of who we'll be once we've grown up a bit. Um, And so, for those of you who are teenagers, you'll have aspirations about what you might do in your work life after school. Um, For some of us who are going through study, maybe you might have aspirations of doors that will open afterwards. So, for us as a church plant, we felt like God had spoken three things specifically to us Um, The first one was that we would honour Jesus. So as a community of faith, all that we do would honour Jesus. So we don't want to compromise the gospel. Uh, We want to honour him in all that we do, individually, in the way that we live our lives, in our neighbourhoods, in our town. But also collectively, as a community together, we really want to honour Jesus. 
Um, the, the next thing is that we would make disciples. And so we want to be a, a church that is, really lays hold of the Great Commission um, and that we are disciples who make disciples. And so what I want you to do, just very quickly, on your tables, I want you to just talk quickly, what is a disciple? It's not a trick question, and we'll just get a couple of you to shout out afterwards. So just have a, a, a minute, maybe, on your tables, talk about what is a disciple. What do you think a disciple is? Okay, I'm going to give you another ten seconds, then we're going to pull it back in, just really quick, simple answers. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, stop your conversations. Well done. Um, okay, so just quickly shout out what just what were you saying on your table? Just shout out one after another. Oh. What, do discipline. Discipline. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're not discipling me. Quite a sound. Discipline. No, discipleship is like the you know the first bit. You know, disciple, discipline. It's all caught up in the same words. So there's a whole thing about obedience, which we're actually going to look at this morning in John 14. Louis, hand up. So following, yeah, so your life literally changing as you follow someone. If you're a disciple of someone, you, you sort of become more like them. Um, it, it, says, like, it, it said that of rabbis, what used to happen is rabbis in the, um, back in Greek, or sorry, Jewish tradition, they would all follow their rabbi. Like, so the followers would follow, and they would literally try and imitate and copy and be like. So often we sit down and we try and teach people like we're doing now. I could give you information, but actually if you followed my life and you tried to be like me, it's probably a very bad idea. But if you were to follow my, my life, actually, like, this is what the disciples did in the New Testament. They looked at Jesus. They saw the way he ate. They saw the way he engaged with people. They literally copied his life. And so that's a really great answer from the boys' table. You, you get a point. Not that we're into points, but you can have a point for that. It's a great answer. Sarah? A servant to God. A servant to God. That's very good, Sarah. So to be a disciple is to be a servant to God. That's a great answer. You can have a point as well, all on your own there. That's great. And so to be a servant to God. And so that we literally like... The, the whole, that's a great answer. The word servant is actually where we're positioning ourselves under, not alongside or above. Sometimes in Christian traditions, we can maybe get a bit puffed up about our contribution in the whole mission of God. Actually, we're always to remember who the king is and our position to the king as being servants, part of his household, but that's a great, great way of putting it. Well done, I like that. Theologian there, that's brilliant. What, Kevin? A representative, yeah. So um, we're starting, I'm not, I'll have one more from Ruth in a minute. Um, but yeah, being a representative. And so we're a representative of the one that we're a disciple of. So we're called ambassadors, is another way that it's putting in the, I think it's in Corinthians, that we're ambassadors of God, that we're literally like representing the kingdom here on earth. We're representative, representatives of Jesus as we're his disciples. And then Ruth? So reproducing, so d- disciples. So if we're disciples who make disciples, there's the whole thing within that. The making is reproduction. And so we see that in Genesis, that each seed reproduces after its own kind. So an ap- a good, Jesus teaches about a good apple tree doesn't produce bad apples, and a bad apple tree can't produce good apples. And so what sort of disciples do we want to make? Well, we want to make good disciples. And so to make good disciples, we ourselves need to be good disciples. Not that we're into like good and bad, um, like standards and how good's good enough. We start to lose a sight of grace. Jesus has already done it all on our behalf, but actually we do get to participate in the way that we make disciples, and we can do a shocking job of it if we try. Trust me, I've seen places where that does happen. Um, and so we want to do the best we can to honour Jesus, our first value. We want to honour Jesus in the way that we reproduce. And so 
for us as a church, the kind of disciples we want to make, um, there's something we talk about as a church. We talk about, I'm going to show you some sign language. Many of you who are part of the church will be sick to death of this. So this means up. You can all do it. Copy me. This means up. So up, this is in relation, we look at the life of Jesus in Luke 6, and we see that one minute, Jesus is up in the mountains and he's worshipping God, so he's upward. He's, he's like literally facing upward, this is the upward dimension of his life. It's about worship, devotion, prayer, giving, fasting, all these sorts of things, the upward dimension. Sacrifice, it's an upward act of worship. The next one is this, like that, I'm not being a lorry driver, reversing, beep, beep, beep. What? <laughs> This is inward. So we've got upward. Yeah, yeah. Wrist up. Wrist up. There we go. Okay. So we've got upward in relation to our relationship with God. And we've got inward in relationship to our relationship to one another. Um, and so that's fellowship, discipleship, community. We see this in Luke 6. Jesus comes down from the mountain, gathers the 12 disciples to himself. And then the next thing, he comes down the mountain and does this. What's this one? Outward. So this is outward. Outward is then the dimension of Jesus' life which is engaging with the world that's broken. And so this is about mission. So in Luke 6, Jesus comes down the mountain with the disciples and literally engages with the town. He enters into the town and he starts healing people, delivering people, setting them free of all sorts of diseases and sicknesses. Um, And we just see that in three verses in Luke 6. I think it's Luke 6, 15 onwards. Um, and so as a church, we want to be a church that ma- of disciples who make disciples, who basically have an upward dimension in the way that we worship God or honour Jesus. Inwardly, the way we, we make disciples, we fellowship, we, community, uh, we build community, but then also outwardly in the way that we engage with the world. And so you see that in our vision. We've got upward is honouring Jesus, inward is making disciples, outward is uh, reaching nations. So I hadn't said that earlier, so our so the third part of our vision is that we would reach nations. And so when there's 30 of us in a room, it might be a bit comical to talk about reaching nations. But literally last weekend I was in Scotland, getting to encourage some people in the gospel. It was great. Some people repenting, getting a life set right with God. It was beautiful. And there'll be others, others of us who will have opportunities. And it's not just nations out there, but it's even nations on our doorstep. We live in a very diverse age. Um, there's all sorts of people moving into the town and out to different places. Um, I was reminded earlier, I'm just going to say something without looking around the room. I was reminded earlier of a video that I did um, in the, I think it was in February or March, standing outside of the Red Row building like plot um, that was a, a, a waste, waste site at the time. It was all being built. And I remember standing there, the video's on our website, right on the front page, and it was like, what would it look like in years to come when people move into here um, and we see communities of faith birthed all across Sittingbourne in all of these new areas. People much like us who moved to Sittingbourne a year ago um, who are moving part of their family faith adventure to figure out their part in God's great sort of mission here in Sittingbourne and out to the nations. Um, and what would it look like if we were, as a community, were positioned in such a way that we could multiply these little communities of faith that would both reach locally but then also have, a, a, have an impact into the nations. And someone said today, oh, that family are from that place. Did you remember that video you did? And I was like, I, I, did, I was like, wow, yeah, I really did. So I'll share it with you later. Um, so, so encouraging. And so um, just the whole thing that it's not just about us. There's many other churches in the town. But I think this whole thing of us all joining, kind of joining ranks to be able to reach nations is a, is a really powerful thing. And the, the nation's on our doorstep as much as um, across our borders as well. And so what we're going to do, I'm just going to read through John 14. Um, and this will give you a kind of a, the underpinning, really. If I told you that I had a magic key... 
a magic key. Well, not we're into magic. But I say filter that bit. Obviously, I'm just doing that for effect. If we had, a, if I had, a, if I had a special key, that's a much better word. If I had a special key, thank you. That's my wife. She's not heckling me. She helps me. She's my helper. She's heckling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do a much better job than I would. But um, so, if I could give you the secret, a special secret thing to be able to make you super effective in upward, super effective in inward, super effective in outward. Would you want it? Yes. yes. Would you want that key? Yes. What's it worth? Yeah. How much you got? How much you got? Yeah. yeah. So now we're not into peddling the gospel for money, but um, and so th- I, I believe this is a foundational thing, Alamate. I believe this is a foundational thing that really sort of fuels these three dimensions of life, upward, inward and outward. We see it in the life of Jesus, we see it in the life of the disciples, and we should see it in the lives of ourselves and also those we're reproducing Jesus in. Is that okay? And so, right, let's read it. So I'll I'll just read through, but you might want to read through on your tables. I'm reading from the ESV. Um, If you've got a different version, it should be similar, but it might, some words will be a bit different. Verse 15, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me. And I in you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then it goes on basically sort of repeating that, the the sending of the spirit, the spirit of truth into the world. It sort of goes on to explain that. And so for the sake of brevity I'm going to skip through some bits and I'm just going to explain basically the premise so if you're making notes this is the bit if you're on Twitter that you might want to tweet this is the bit that is like the the headline Um, and so what we see is if you love me you'll keep my commandments and then there's this promise that I will send you a helper the spirit of truth and so love if you love me so that's love okay then you will obey my teaching so obedience so love and obedience equals presence. Because Jesus promises, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. Not in a heavy-handed way, not in a heavy shepherding way, but just Acts 2. They devoted themselves, love, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. So obedience. They gave themselves to a way of life. So the, the very first church, literally just been baptised, 3,000 of them, Acts 2, 42, 47... Love plus obedience equals presence. It says in Acts 2, great grace was upon them and and they basically reproduced themselves everywhere they went. The the gospel went viral very, very quickly. And I think actually that, I don't know the right, I'm terrible this morning, I'm a bit tired. The words aren't quite flowing, but um, that's my excuse anyway. But the, the kind of, I think the thing that hinders the contemporary church is this equation. Not that God's into equations, but I think that when I sit with people and, and, and they're finding that there's some dysfunction in their life to do with their relationship with God, I'm not going to their upward, their inward and their outward. I'm not saying, upward, how's your, how's your prayer life? 
how's your time in the Word? I could do that. I'm not saying, how's your time in community? Have you been meeting with brothers and sisters and encouraging one another? Are you being discipled? Are you discipling anyone? I could ask that. be good questions. And I'm not saying, what's your witness like in the world? I'm not asking that. I could ask that. It's a good question to ask. But the foundation of all of that is, what was the last thing that Jesus told you to do? And are you doing it? Love and obedience equals presence. I think if we feel disconnected from God, if we feel like, I just don't know his love in my life at the moment, then we need to swim upstream a little bit and look at, are you loving Jesus by listening to his words? I have a revelation in his word. I know this isn't the paper Bible, but there's a Bible on here. You know, so by looking, looking at his word and putting it into practice, like the general marching orders we've all got in his words. Or prophetically, people may have spoken words over your life about some stuff. Are you trying to get your life in alignment with those words? Often God speaks things that seem so far off, and you think, well, hang on, my life's over here. And this word's over there, and this seems like more than a lifetime journey to get the two to meet up. And, and, but actually, God, by His Spirit, is able to sort of bring these things to pass. And sometimes it means we just need to change our direction a little bit. I believe prophetic words are often an encouragement just to get our lives in alignment with God. We see that with the Old Testament and New Testament prophets, that when people brought words, it was often to call people back into relationship with God in faithfulness. It was about obedience. See that in the Old Testament. All of the prophets, it was about this nation, woe to you, you've, you've become disobedient, you need to realign your life with God's plans and purposes for your life for this day and age, right now. And so often prophetic words, although they brought us an encouragement, it's about God's got this great thing for you in the future, you need to get yourself ready. You need to be obedient to it. And often, it well, not often, all the time, it should never ever contradict God's marching orders that we are to saturate ourselves in so that we know it. And so this spirit of truth who God is going to send, the presence of God living and dwelling in us. It says in there, I will be in you, you will be in me, you will be in us. You know, there's this whole sense of like us being interweaved into the Trinity of God. Bar the Son and Spirit, them dwelling in us, us dwelling in them. Knowing that we're a child of God, knowing that we are fathered by a perfect Heavenly Father. This obedience doesn't come out of fear, it comes out of trust. If my children are only obedient to me because they're so fearful about me losing it, which they probably are, to be fair, because I can lose it. I'm just going to be really honest. I can, I can lead and rule out of fear. We all can, can't we? But then, then you kind of create a certain culture. But if people respond to you because of your, like your loving kindness, because of your grace, then it breeds trust, doesn't it, in that relationship. And so as parents, we all want our children to trust us I know that the things that we're encouraging them into is for their good. Not just because we're trying to restrict them or limit them or we're going to wipe them out, you know, out of fear. And so there's this real sense that to, to love and to obey is because we've seen who Jesus is on the cross, literally laying his life down. We've sung songs about this this morning, that he's literally nailed himself onto the cross to overcome our, our rebellion, our wretchedness, our shame, our guilt. Our desire to do it all our own way. And we don't need to live like that anymore because he's literally paid the cross. Sorry, paid the price on the cross. A holy God laying his life down for us. And we're to see that and look at that and read about it in his word and think, wow, because he's first, we're able to love because we've seen that he first loved us. It says that in the New Testament. Am I okay so far? Yes. Are we all right with this? Yeah. yeah.
And so we also see this in, in the story of the prodigal son. I don't know if you know the story of the prodigal son. There's a father who's kind of rich and wealthy and got a wider state, and he's got two sons. I think it's actually the story of two sons, um, rather than the prodigal son. It focuses mainly, mainly on one son who, who knows that his father loves him um, and actually goes to his dad and says, look, dad, you love me so much. I, I know that when you die, um, you're going to leave me an inheritance. And actually, I'd, I'd really like that money now. So can I have that now, as if you were dead, and I'm going to run off and live my own life? And so he's basically saying to his dad, look, dad, I know you love me, but I'm not reciprocating that. Like, I wish you were dead. Can I have all of your money? Basically, can I have now what I'm due, and I'm going to detach from your household, and I'm going to do it my way? Yep, yeah, are we okay with that story if you know that story? That's effectively what he does. He says, Dad, give me the resources. I'm going to go and do it my way. Uh, and what he does, he runs off and he squanders all of this money on loose living, gets himself in a real pickle, um, hates himself by the end of it, and he comes to his right mind and he's literally in a pig pen, the worst place you could be, and he's eating the pig food. And he's like, I'm just going to go back to my dad's house and say, look, I don't want to come back as a son. Would you just welcome me back as a slave? Because I know it would be better in your house as a slave than because I... I've rejected sonhood. So this is part of that story. And that son actually goes back and does that. And he says, Dad, can I come back as a slave? And the father says, no, no. I'm so overjoyed. I've been waiting all this time for you. And he runs and, and cuddles him and like, lavishes him with different things, which have got a lot of meaning in them. Um, but for the sake of this illustration, he says, look, you're, you're a son. You're not coming back as a slave. But then the other brother, who doesn't get as much airtime, but I think is actually equally important, he knows what it is to be obedient to his father, he, but he doesn't know that he's, he doesn't know about love. So he he's, he says, "Dad, I've I've been obedient in your household all this time. I've been faithful. I've been here. I've been working. I've been serving." He, he hasn't. He's run off, and yet you're blessing him with all this stuff. You, you've, he's already cashed out once. Now you're lavishing all this other stuff on him. You're throwing a party. You've welcomed him back. And so one son, I think you, you look at that equation again. Love. One son, the reckless one, gets the love of God, but he doesn't want to be obedient. Is, am I right in saying that? He wants to run off, live life his own way and squander it all. The next son knows what it is to be obedient to the father but doesn't get love. He's been in his father's household all that time and he didn't know that everything was his anyway. That the father loved him. He's, he has actually lived in that household as a slave. One's saying, look, I want to come back as a slave and the other one's been living there all that time as a slave. One's returned as a son and the other one's been encouraged, look, you're a son too. It's a beautiful story. Both of them at that moment get to understand love and obedience equals presence because they know what it is to be present in the father's household and be known and loved by him both of them are restored to the father in that moment it's it's a beautiful picture I'd never quite seen it in there until I was doing this study this whole thing of love and obedience equals presence if all you've got is love and no obedience you're not going to know the presence of God in your life that's what the, not the equation, I, I hate talking about it like that, so it sounds a bit mechanical, like a machine that we love and obedience, but loving obedience, loving obedience equals the presence of God. The Holy Spirit, literally, God says, Jesus says, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. And this is a spirit that the world doesn't know, that the world is walking in blindness. It doesn't know the plans and purposes of God, yet for itself or for the world. And so it's going to pot, and we look around and we see that. And for those who love, uh, who love the Father and are obedient to his teaching, they understand the presence of God and they're able to actually reproduce that then in others. So as we talk about disciples who make disciples, we become people who not only love God and are obedient to his teaching, but we're then able to share that and reproduce that same heart 
in other people. Imagine how tragic it would be if we were like either of those two sons of the Father and all we did, we just produced the love of God but no obedience. I fear there are some church movements that do that. It's very experiential and it's all about love and grace, which is beautiful. I I love those things. I want to cherish those and have those as a foundation stone in my house. That's what I want. But if there's no obedience to the teaching of Jesus, then that grace actually becomes huge neglect. It's actually abuse to the character and nature of God because we want to be obedient. Not in a slavish way, but the command to Adam and Eve in the garden is to work the ground and to bring everything into obedience to God. To bring everything into obedience to God. That's the command that was given to Adam and Eve. And that's the call to us. Or imagine what it was like if we were just super obedient, but we didn't know that God loved us. We didn't know that we were children of God and we were just slaves in the house. That would be terrible. We wouldn't know grace. We would literally be ruled by fear. And if we reproduce that in everyone else that we discipled, and I know there are some church movements again that do that, heaven forbid we should strain to either of those pitfalls, either side of the narrow roads, to one, one edge is all it is. is a, like, uh, Can you ever have too much love? No, of course not. But you can have love without obedience, and that is yes. a shame. And can you ever have too much obedience? No, but you can have obedience without love, and that is equally disastrous. And so we need to encourage one another as a community of faith to walk that narrow road between these two huge pitfalls of no love or no obedience. And as we do that, and we're able to encourage others to come and follow us on this narrow way, we will find life. And the spirit of truth will be sent to us, a helper, to lead us down this narrow path for the plans and purposes of God in our day and age. And we will reproduce disciples who make disciples who know what it is to love God, who know what it is to obey God, and because of those two things, know what it is to dwell with God have the presence of God literally in their household. Everywhere they go. Helping them, leading them, guiding them. When, when a new wave of teaching comes that is false and going to try to lead people astray, they will have the spirit of truth, a helper there to guide them and lead them. A voice, a still small voice saying, that's bad news, don't do it. And then it's about obedience. And that still small voice is fueled by the truth of God which we are to saturate ourselves in as a community and individually for his purposes is that okay? okay there's probably a lot more that I could say about this but it's gone (laughs) but it's it's gone past 11 o'clock and so I I think for, for lots of us this touches on lots of issues for us I think personally what does this touch on? so um the people that Jesus most pushed back against were those who had the appearance of obedience but didn't love God. So the Pharisees, he said to them, literally, or some Pharisees, not all the Pharisees, I think at times they get a bad rap. There were some good ones, Nicodemus, there are others beside, you know, they were trying to figure out, is this the Messiah? Whilst there were also many, many other people proclaiming to be Messiahs at the same sort of time in, the, in history. And so the Pharisees had the appearance of godliness but underneath it all, actually, they, they just hadn't quite got it, some of them putting them in that camp and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs on the outside all all glossy all shiny looking like they're full of life and as soon as you crack open the door to a tomb what do you find inside the stench of death you find rotting bones no life it's a morgue I I don't know about you I don't don't want to be someone that's got the appearance of godliness but actually as soon as you crack open the, the window into my life or my soul you find there's all sorts of it's like Halloween, isn't it? There's all sorts of nasties knocking around in there that really we don't want. 
really we don't it's not good, not good for us and actually if there's like Jesus said if the, the eyes are like the light to the or the window to the soul and if there's light in them how great is that light if there's darkness how great is that darkness if there's even the tiniest glimmer of darkness in here that I'm harbouring and wanting to hold on to it's going to just take over the whole thing so the two don't really work hand in hand and so as I give myself to the words as I give myself to following Jesus verse after verse day after day year after year there's no like quick fix you know like the key is the quick fix the key is obedience the key is loving God, being obedient, and walking in the Spirit. Obedience is about the Word, presence is about the Spirit, and then our role in that is obedience, giving ourselves to both, wholeheartedly. So we need both the Word of God, we need the presence of God, we need to give ourselves to the Word of God, we need to walk in the Spirit of God. As we're out in the world and we're walking along, we're, we're being led by the Spirit of Truth, that we would look and act differently than the world around us. And that change and transformation will literally follow us everywhere we go because it's not just us that have gone, but it's the presence of God that's gone with us, the helper. who wants to make Jesus known. The whole spirit of truth has been sent to make Jesus known and Jesus has been sent to make the Father known and we have been sent to make God known. That's what we're doing here. It's a wonderful privilege that we get to play part in this great mission of God. And so if we want to be stronger in in our upward, then we need to love God wholeheartedly and be obedient to him and if we want to be stronger in our inwards then we need to love God and we need to be obedient to him and if we want to be stronger in our outward we need to love God and we need to be obedient to him when we have verses about going to all the harvest you know pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out other labourers into the, into the harvest field then what do we do? I'm going to pray for the Lord to send out other labourers into the harvest field when we read the Bible and it says, don't give up meeting with others as, as the pagans are in the habit of doing. What do we do? We give ourselves to Christian community. We give ourselves literally to dropping the mask and being known by one another and loving one another with all that we've got. Despite the risk of rejection and hurt and heartache, which you will get. As this community grows, you've probably already encountered it, some of you. You will encounter heartache. People will upset you and wind you up. And so I'm really good at it. If you want, if you want that to happen, come and spend some time with me. I will wind you up. I'm a bit too intense. And I'm going to get a bit grumpy. Unless you're feeding me coffee, I get very grumpy. <laughs> it's a great advert for them. But, but we are people, and we're, we're, we're like together, we are disciples who make disciples. So we're in community trying to follow Jesus together. It's not just about us and God, it's about us all together following God. And then as we get a vision for that, it's actually not just about us all together, it's about us and all the other believers in the town, us and all the other believers in the nation, kind of unifying. And again, that, that prophetic thing. Where we're here is right there, and that seems like a mile off, doesn't it? Seems like, is that ever possible? But actually, as we start to do it ourselves, then I think the Spirit of God starts to bring others in and draw, draw, draw the cords together. He wants us all to be together. Like the Trinity is together, that whole bit in there about I'm in you, you're in me, and we are together, weaved in together. It's a real sense of us all linked arm and arm together, not just with ourselves, but with the Trinity. That so we are literally got Father, Son, and Spirit with us empowering us on the mission and so what we're going to do we're just going to take a moment just to pray for one another on our tables and this would be my prayer but feel free to leave one another just like Lord Jesus help me to be devoted to you that I would love you and to be obedient to what you're calling me to because he's not going to ask you to do anything in your life that isn't for your good or for his glory he's not going to ask you to do anything that is going to discredit you or diminish you or destroy you now, there may be some things that he actually puts his finger on and says, you know what, you've just got to put this right. 
I've had some horrific conversations with my family where I've literally felt like God said, you just need to put that thing right from the past. You need to go and have this conversation with someone about that time before you were a Christian, like that wasn't right. And, and, I, and I've had to enter into that. And like the fear in my heart, having some of those conversations, but it's actually been for my good and for his glory. And so there's some stuff like that where it might be actually Jesus may speak very specifically to you about conversations, actions, to-do points. Not that I don't think the Holy Spirit gives us a to-do list, but, but there might be some things that God just puts his finger on and says, you know what? If you're, going to, if you're asking to be obedient, I've got some things for you to do. Crack on. It's for your good and for my glory. And I see that with the disciples. Jesus calls people away from their fishing nets. And what do they do? What do good disciples do? They, they follow. They down tools and they follow. Despite the cost. And so for some of us, it might look like stopping one thing, starting another thing. So should we pray on our tables? I'll just keep going on and on, sorry. It's part of the problem. And so yeah, let's just take a minute on our tables and pray for one another, maybe for a few minutes, and then I'll just close in prayer. Is that all right? Brilliant.